Hello and welcome to A Fine Balance, the podcast that explores work-life balance choices one story at a time. This is a podcast about work, life and the pursuit of balance, exploring the reasons behind the choices that individuals make when balancing work with everything else in their lives. Understanding how we work and why we prioritise some things over others can help make sense of work-life balance choices. This podcast seeks to showcase the diverse ways that people flex work around life and life around work to learn from one another and celebrate our differences. I'm your host, Dahlia Wittenberg, creator of the blog, A Fine Balance. In each podcast episode, I'll be inviting my guests to put a figure on their current work to life ratio. Of course, quantifying something this multifaceted isn't a science, but it's a good place to start for getting to the heart of their story. Hello, this is Dahlia Wittenberg, the creator of the blog and podcast of Fine Balance. In 2024, I'll be launching the third season of the podcast of Fine Balance. And I thought what better way to wrap up the year than by looking back on all the conversations I've hosted in 2023. During this episode, I'm going to be sharing some extracts of those conversations and reflecting on the amazingly diverse ways that my guests on this podcast have talked about balancing work with everything else in their lives. Discussing work-life balance choices in depth isn't always a comfortable conversation. Getting to the heart of why you choose to prioritize some things over others can get really personal, and it involves a lot of deep introspection and allowing yourself to be open and vulnerable. The guests that I've hosted on my podcast this year have done this so generously and I really want to dedicate this episode to them sharing their stories with me on this podcast. I have personally learned so much from each one of them and I know from listener feedback that other people have learned from them too. To my listeners, I don't know who all of you are. This podcast has started to take on a bit of a life of its own and in pulling together this review episode I've, I've been looking over the analytics and and my mind is blown uh, by the fact that hundreds of downloads have occurred this year from places all over the world and I I find that really I'm, I'm touched and overwhelmed that the podcast is having an impact and is growing in such a way I think this is a reflection on just what a rich conversation it is when you start unpacking your decisions around how you choose to spend your time how people feel about the work that they do and how they balance it with everything else in their lives I feel truly honored and privileged to be hosting such conversations and I look forward to many more in 2024 for those of you that are not familiar with the podcast format there's only one fixed question that I ask my guests and that is what numbers they would say quantify their work to life ratio and why. Now, I always follow this with a bit of a disclaimer that quantifying something as multifaceted as a work-life balance isn't a science. And I know full well that these numbers are very arbitrary. But nevertheless, I still hold the fact that asking people to put a number on their work-to-life ratio is usually a very good place to start in getting to the heart of their story. And when you put all the stories together in one episode, like I'm doing now, It's really intriguing to see the different ways that people interpret this question and the various ways in which they choose to quantify their work-to-life ratio. So without further ado, 
let's get started on looking back at the episodes of A Fine Balance, the podcast over 2023. The first guest that I hosted on my podcast in 2023 was a musician called Amanda Kaya, who lives in the US. And the episode that I recorded with Amanda first aired in February 2023. The ratio that Amanda gave me for her work to life was one to three, meaning that for her, there was much more emphasis on the life side of the ratio than on the work side, three times as much. Amanda's view of balancing work with other things in her life was that she was, in her own words, not very career oriented. We talked a lot about the punishing self-discipline that musicians have and how that was for her growing up and how that impacted on her work-life balance, if you like, as a student and then later as a professional musician and the insight that she gave on, on the working life of a musician was really fascinating. Um, and Amanda's choices really were to lean towards securing herself with a musical career that was flexible and stable. And in doing so, that limited how much she could advance her professional music career. And instead, she set up um, a teaching business and was very happy to be working part time and no longer performing as a musician. And it was really interesting to hear her take on that and her attitude to finding balance between work and everything else in in a married life, particularly when there are no children in the mix. Um, she herself had only been married for a short time at the time of the interview. So that was really interesting to see how a couple decides on their work life balance. But also she reflected a lot about the environment in which she grew up in and the extent that her parents worked and how that also has shaped her view on, on the limits that she's willing to devote of her time to her career. I think one of the things that really stood out from my conversation with Amanda was her unapologetic take on including hedonism in her work to life ratio. It was really refreshing because she just talked about doing the things that she loved and how important it was to pursue her passions um, and how that made up a lot of her work to life ratio as well. Amanda's message was also about accepting who you are and um, recognizing that not everybody can be the best of the best and I think in the music profession that's not easy uh, but she accepted that and her view was very much that you just have to be the best version of yourself and that was a fundamental principle that guided her in how she found her balance and how she continues to evolve in finding her balance when she's in the early stages of her married life as a musician and as a teacher. For me again I was working like all the time. I just, you know, I felt like I woke up and then when I got home, I was just in bed. <laughs> and was that kind of self-driven? Because you, you, you mentioned your parents weren't particularly pushy. So was this something that came from you or? Uh, yeah, it had to have been. I, I feel like I've always had this, something's always been pushing me my whole life to do stuff. I don't know. Not so much anymore. Um, it's still there but I do it in other ways like um you know I, I like to draw and I like to write I like to do all those kinds of things so it's not typically music but does something <laughs> has to be it's a, in order to for you to feel like you've been productive does whatever creative art or piece of work you're working on does it need to have a purpose or is it enough for you to have just drawn something that made you feel good that you don't intend to do anything with in an afternoon 
and call it a day. That's, you know, that's a good point because that's always different depending on the day. Sometimes I'll draw something and I'm like, at least I did something today. You know, <laughs> that's how it is. And so uh, for me now, um, back then that would have never been enough. But uh, for me now, it's it's a matter of um, the amount. I, I don't know. I told you, I think I told you that my father-in-law told me this and I kind of put it into a lot of things that I do. He always told me you can never waste your time reading. Just read. Reading is always good for you. And so if I'm, my goal is to be drawing that day, drawing is good for me, even though I didn't complete something, I actually did something beneficial, Mm. because I am putting in work that I know is not wasted work, but I'm putting in, I'm drawing that day, so I'm, I'm just drawing, and uh, same with, music is not so much, I don't have such a higher standard with, I have a much higher standard with music, um, but I tend to think the same now. Like if, if I practice an hour, even though I didn't learn what I, I didn't learn the song that I'm mm. working on, which I would have thought back in the day, like, wow, I'm such a horrible person. I didn't learn the song in one day, <laughs> which is so <laughs> crazy to think about now. Yeah. Uh, but you have to set goals. I mean, like today I'm going to learn the first part and then I'm going to be okay with that. That's, that's a goal that I achieved. You have to, yeah. again, small bites. You can't just think of going into playing a 30 minute concerto and like, you're going to draw the, you're going to draw the Mona Lisa in one day. It just doesn't happen like that. So um, you have to put the, put it in perspective. Like what is realistic? Yeah. <laughs> and but so for still... me, it, it's still a, a case of not wanting to waste any time you know yeah, if just I, it, yeah it's still I still have that I still don't want to waste time like I, I still have that kind of dro- driven motivation that no time should be wasted but I I just maybe it's because like I don't have interest in in you know like I don't know how to put it I don't again I don't know what normal people do like what do they waste their time on like do they watch a lot of tv I can watch tv and draw at the same time <laughs> yeah um they go I don't know they do they we watch tv I watch tv with my husband we've watched a ton of tv shows together and we do it at nighttime before we go to bed and just to kind of wind down um I read books and a lot of I you know I spend like maybe an hour I try to do like an hour 30 minutes to an hour of reading a day if Mm -hmm. I can just so that you know over time I'll, I'll start reading all the books that I have that I need to read um but I just I'm thinking like maybe people have more friends than me is that what it is (laughs) (laughs) I know exactly what what my focus is my focus in life is living (laughs) that's it you know being Mm -hmm. happy because in the end like it's not about the things that you know it's this you're not gonna look back on on this you know I don't know you can look back on the things that you did of course and I'm doing a lot of things but you're gonna look back on the experiences that you had in life and I'm I'm and you should, of course, work for the things that you want. That's always like a very good thing to do. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that and that's not career oriented. But people who are struggling to find why, you know, they have to, even if you're working 12 hours a day, that you should find the things that make you happy in living life and uh the things that make you want to live life, you have to do those. And you know, I know some people are just, they get home and they're exhausted and they can't do that. And it's, yeah. it's like a privileged thing to say that like, Oh yeah, just find what makes you happy. It's not easy. It's not easy at all, especially for most people, especially in America, people work a lot and they mm. don't get a lot of vacation. And, and I understand that. And I'm very happy that I, I can do that. I'm very happy that I'm able to do that. But it sounds uh, but- like you were, you made deliberate decisions though. Because yes. you were on the path to being a professional musician, but 
you you jumped off that path didn't you and, and yeah. find like an alternative that could work for you which you have done you're still yes. working in music that's how I want it I want you know one of us has to be uh, flexible to stay until I guess if you the kid goes to uh, school then of course you mm-hmm. could, I could definitely pick up a job and pick up more work and become more career oriented after that point but um, yeah if I look at it from my family, my parents were both incredibly busy and I never saw them. So <laughs> I was like free reign in the house. Like we just do was whatever that, we want. <laughs> was that a good thing or not such a good thing? I would say it, it more negative than positive because, really? you know, I didn't really build relationships like I have now with my parents because yeah. I built a great relationship with them now. But before I barely knew them, I was just like, okay, well now they're gone. Um, mm-hmm. So, but even my mom quit her job until we were able to stay at home by ourselves so she was a home mom until then so okay that was nice but then she got a job um so that works for some people too so for us that's we want to create like a stable one stable and then one person working but more flexible because I feel like that would work very well for like the first several years of a child's life yeah Um, because considering in America like there's no daycare <laughs> we kind of have a really crappy family structure in this country yeah. um, so it's, it's just... just interesting that you're that you're so strategic about it and thinking about it and I suppose you you kind of have to be given mm-hmm. your situation like without any family nearby but also it's deliberate as well isn't it it's yeah it's, kind of it's, the also, life that you wanna live. it's also a little hedonistic <laughs> yeah I you know I I, I enjoy I enjoy the free time that I have to create. And then, you know, I can sacrifice that easily for child work. If, you know, obviously they just happen that way that my, my Mm. life is a little bit more flexible. Um, But it it works a little bit of hedonism uh, on my part, but uh, if I'm being honest, I mean, like I, the thing is the, the things that I do aren't really like, it's part of my work too. (laughs) But um, I'm just happy that like what I do is what I love. So. The second episode of 2023 was one that I recorded with Katie Ford. Katie Ford is someone who describes herself as a speaker, an imposter syndrome buster, a vet and an entrepreneur. And she's also an author, by the way. When I asked Katie Ford what figures she gave her work to life ratio, she talked a lot about how this fluctuates for her. At the time of the interview, she said it was a 70 to 30 ratio, 70 on the work side, 30 on the life side. But she said this changes a lot. And there have been times in her career where it's been more towards 100 to zero ratio and other times where she's really prioritized other things going on in her life, not her work. But we stuck on 70, 30 for that particular day of the year. My conversation with Katie touched on the burnout that she experienced earlier on in her career when she was practicing as a vet. Um, And she talked about how she changed her career path as a result of that experience, really. She also talked a lot about how it felt to be a high achiever when she was a student and how that experience really stuck with her and shaped her expectations of work-life balance when she was a working adult. And that provided insight, which I think might be helpful, not just to people that would identify with that character trait, but but also for parents in considering how they can encourage um, their children to have a healthy balance between their studies and and the rest of their lives as well. Um, I think with Katie, all roads seem to lead to the idea of self-compassion, which I think was a really inspiring message. And what really sticks out for me from my conversation with her was when she opened up about 
the grief that she was that was still very raw for her at the time of our interview uh, following the death of her dad and we talked about finding balance in grief and and she provided a really honest and moving account of her experience and I think anybody that can identify with her experiences could take a lot of comfort from listening to her perspective of how grief and loss really impacted her sense of balance with her work and everything else in her life. So here she is, Katie Ford, talking about finding your balance in grief. I would say multiple times when I was a vet in practice, there were times where my body said no. And I think sometimes that that does happen. Absolutely. Like you said, a, a built up stress response again and again and again, ultimately, we can get to a point of burnout. But also, I think that our bodies are really powerful. You know, one of the things that was a big insight for me, even in recent years, was sadly, back at the end of 2021, um, my dad died quite unexpectedly. And I spent six months navigating grief, which is a, a whole experience in itself, which I'm sure many of the people listening will, will navigate um, resonate with. And actually, one of the biggest things that affected me from that was I ended up with really severe back pain, which sounds very random. But actually, when I spoke to a lot of the physiotherapists and um, the doctors that I was working with were saying, oh, it's probably a lot of held tension around there. So I have found in various points in my life, the different, whether that's work-based stress or in this case, it was grief-based stress for me, had got to the point where my body kind of said, look, hang on one second. No, you need to stop. And that's something I've got more and more sensitive and aware of as well is sometimes it's it's noticing those more subtle signs as well. I'm really sorry to hear about your dad. Um, and I, I've interviewed other people who have mentioned how grief has had an impact on their sense of balance as well, sometimes in a negative way. Well, I don't know about negative, but, you know, in a way that's sort of thrown them off course. Um, yeah. And in other ways, it sort of led them to some to finding a bit more, I don't know, a new sense of meaning in life as well. Um, is, is there anything, I don't know if you're comfortable talking about <laughs> it, but um, is there any way, any reflections that you have on, on the impact that grief has on, on a person's sense of balance? And any advice of what, what might have worked for you to recover from what sounds like it must have been a terrible shock? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting one. I mean, experiencing that gave me a lot of lessons that I didn't realise I was ready to experience. Or I, to be honest, I don't think I've got to the end of a lot of those lessons yet. I think the first one was the surprise of what a physical impact grief had for me. It was just like we've spoken about that quite often my body just said no. And that really did have to make me lean in and reprioritize and realize that in that moment, all the things that I thought this absolutely could never be rearranged, this has to be done now, nobody can help pick this work up from me. And some of the narratives that maybe I was listening to, but not on a conscious level, actually were strewn to one side as I had amazing sort of friends, colleagues, business partners that stepped in and took those things and created that space. And I think in a really strange way, it was a lesson that it's easy for us to get drawn into this idea that this is just how it's always going to be. You can't make changes. No one's going to accommodate them for me to sit back and say, you know what, actually you can, even if this is in the worst circumstance for that to happen. And again, there've been so many smaller lessons, which I think I'm, I'm still learning, but in terms of my, my work-life balance with grief in general, I think it's taken up 
more of my life than I've maybe given it credit for. It certainly made me slow down because there are some days absolutely where it feels heavier. And I share this very openly on my social media as well. Even though I am a coach, I have trained in so many different things. I'm doing a master's in emotional well-being therapy. I still reached out and went to a grief counsellor because I realised how much of an impact that it was having on a day-to-day basis and how much I needed somebody just to non-judgmentally hold that space. <clears throat> and since that happened, actually, it's it has been a little easier to navigate and it has had less physical effects too. So I'd really implore anyone if they are struggling in that way or if they resonate with what I'm saying to consider maybe speaking to a professional and, and seeing if talking it out does help. Yeah, I don't think there's ever a quick fix with this, is there? I mean, I haven't been through anything similar, but I have had close friends who have. And I think it's something that you live with. It's not something you ever recover from. You just learn to live with that grief and and that loss. So I suppose in terms of the impact on your balance, I, I think probably it sounds like from what you're saying in the immediate term, it sort of gave you that perspective that... Uh, things that you thought you were you know were irreplaceable for or were unchangeable actually when it when push came to shove you could change them you could replace yourself and I wonder if that gave you a a fresh perspective on um I guess seizing life while while you have it rather than sort of pausing things because because of a bad situation could you then harness that power to to say well actually while you know in a in kind of in celebration of life I should probably take more control and pause things for good reasons rather than for when bad things happen is it is it that simple or am I just looking at that through a very optimistic and naive lens I think sometimes that is absolutely applicable and I have certainly sat and thought on it in that way I mean my dad when he passed away was 58 which is young in my eyes I I thought that he was going to be around for at least another 20 years and I I think sometimes you can look at it through that lens of you know what actually what what would my dad say right now and whether we believe in the concept of heaven or not if he was sat there he'd probably say go for it Casey go and do it like you you only live once let's let's give this a shot but I think other times there are times where it feels heavier and it is more difficult to look at it through a more optimistic lens and they're the points where I just lean into some real self-compassion and say you know what this is this is hard right now what do you need and on other days yeah just like you shared there it is a you know things change quickly I was at a veterinary conference in London when I got the phone call from my mum and it was three days later that we were switching off my dad's life support so I think it was a real shake-up to say you know what life is delicate life is precious but I won't say that I think that every single day, because sometimes you do get drawn into the other heavier emotions of grief too. Yeah. And it must be so, um, what's the word, just all encompassing. It must at times be very hard to focus on other things and to find that balance again when you have that deep, heavy sadness or shock that you're working through. How how have you managed to get through that and and find your motivation and and keep going such an interesting question because you know I was reflecting on this recently in a really self-compassionate almost strangely celebratory way of saying it's been such a tough 
18 months with this happening, but you've still managed to keep four businesses running. And I'd say the first part has kind of been acceptance for me of the fact that just like you've said, this isn't something that's just going to disappear. And it's not something that I want to push away because the reality is, I can't remember who said it, but they said that grief is the price we pay for love. And I have started to see it in a point that when I start to sort of feel grief coming back up again, it's a reminder that, you know, my dad was a big part of my life and that I did have a lot of love for him and it is going to pop up from time to time. But I think I did need to accept that it's not something that I'm going to navigate with sunshine and rainbows. It's an interesting thing you mentioned at the beginning that I've got a following online. I have a, a substantial amount of sort of the UK veterinary community follow me. And when it first happened, I was almost listening to these self-pressurized narratives of, oh, you you should sort of navigate this well in a way of show everybody, you know, we can see the good side of this. And I very, very, very quickly squash that down because it's not realistic. You know, I, I think sometimes we have this pressure that if we've got somebody that we've lost in our life, that suddenly that should be this pivotal moment of now I, I live for the moment and everything's completely different. But I thought, what would be a more valuable role model and it will probably be to be authentic about the ups and the downs of it and actually say you know whatever you're feeling is going to be individual and unique to you and there is support out there look after yourself and that was probably one of the biggest things for me was to accept that especially in the beginning some days were going to feel difficult and they were days for me just to look after me and to see where I could just delay or delegate some other tasks as well because that was a necessity otherwise I would absolutely burn out alongside grief and then I wouldn't be used to anybody in my life my mum my loved ones my partner my businesses so it was slowing down and accepting that this was going to be something to navigate I think. In April 2023 I had the pleasure of interviewing a former banker and head of global trading Gilles Dehaan. Jill left the finance industry back in 2019, and now he works as a consultant and an entrepreneur. Of all my podcast guests in 2023, Gilles Dehaene gave me the highest ratio of work to life. His was 80 to 20. And that's to say that Jill absolutely loved his work and he thrived on working hard. So this was a really interesting perspective to listen and a little bit unusual. Often when I, when I talk to people about balancing work with everything else in their life, the focus is much more on um, on what they do outside of their working time. But for Gilles, he felt like he has a brilliant work-life balance, even though it's very much heavier on the work side, the life side. That was really, really fascinating. Gilles talked a lot about finding a deep sense of meaning and purpose through his work and his job as a banker. And when I challenged Gilles about the purpose and the meaning that he finds in his work he described something that I keep referring back to again and again in future episodes which is a pocket of sunshine that he's able to carve out and his message was that it almost doesn't matter what your career is but if you can create meaning and find purpose in it and share that with your team and the people that work with you and the wider circles of the people that you come into contact through your work then that is an intentional way to spend your time and that for Gilles gives him a lot of value and a real sense of balance. So let's take a listen back to some of my episode with Gilles Dehan. Banking, let's put it that way, banking is hard. It's extremely hard. It's not an easy job. There is a lot easier jobs. 
It depends what you look for yourself in terms of personal mm -hmm. development and stuff, number one. Number two, banking is much about money. And some people handle money better than others. Mm -hmm. And money doesn't always take the best out of people. Yeah. But, you know, I worked for an organization that is extremely professional, that has clients, and that has really business problematics that belong to every single other businesses. You know, a friend of mine is a baker. Um, it's a fantastic business. It's a fantastic part of society to be a baker, but he's, he's having a very tough time. He hardly sleeps, has to be there at 5 a.m., 4 a.m. with the bakers, come back and very, very late at night to close the till. Finding purpose there is also very, very hard. <laughs> so I would say, you know, the, the one thing I would say is that everything we discuss is very personal, very very human. Mm -hmm. We talk about purpose. We talk about um, couple. We talk about life and work balance. We talk about well-being. So therefore, I don't think it necessarily helps to look at generalities. Like, mm -hmm. you know, banking is this nasty world. And But again, as we discussed before, toxicity happens and a bad manager, yeah. a bad manager in any industry. Yeah. Yeah, Can even in the most well-meaning charity, you know, you could work for a very laudable cause, but you're right, find yourself in a toxic environment. And and I've interviewed people that describe that. So I think it's it's a brilliant thing that you are able to have that perspective on the value that you're bringing with your team um, and the far-reaching impact that you're having, because there's absolutely no doubt that that banking touches on every aspect of society of the economy there is meaning there i think sir, some individuals might struggle to see that and i think part of your what's what's brilliant about your attitude is just that you see that purpose it's part of the bigger picture and therefore that's motivating i, I hope other people listening might take heart from that i, I think that's encouraging because <laughs> i think you probably can find a purpose like that in any industry you're working in you're right whether you're a baker or I don't know, any kind of industry, you might not feel like you're, I don't know, making the most difference to the world. But I guess if you look at it through the prism that you do, then you can seek meaning there. Yeah, yeah. I'll go one step further on, on your very eloquent depiction of a, of, a, of a situation and an approach I agree with you. Even if, let's say, you know, sometimes you don't choose the job, you, you look for a job, you need a job you take what's on offer for the moment up until you get better, right? Let's say. Let's say you join an industry that maybe doesn't move the needle or a company in an industry that's not very good at what they do. It's a great industry, but that company doesn't have good management. Nothing stops you, and it's been my case in some, in, in some, in some parts of my career, nothing stops you from co coming in that company and creating a bubble of goodness that's going to create the purpose for everything around it. You know, we talk a lot about toxic cultures and we talk about big, meaty words. At the end of the day, it's down to people. A manager can make the sunshine or the rain or the snow for their <laughs> team in any industry, anywhere. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, why not be that person that brings a piece of sunshine, that, <laughs> you know, gives people hope and maybe... Yeah. 
contaminates a little bit positively what's around. That's extremely fulfilling, even if the bigger picture of the company is not what we dream it to be. Yeah. Look, I think that's such um, wisdom there, Gilles, because I think you're right. I think people that feel like they have a purpose in their job and feel motivated probably do feel more balanced because there's nothing worse than than working long hours on a job that you find depletes you of any energy then that totally skews your balance so at least if you're working long hours and you're even if your ratio let's say is falling much more on the work side whether you want it to or not if you're feeling motivated and if you're working in you know the opposite of a toxic environment one that you can thrive in then that is going to make you feel more balanced. There's, there's just no doubt about it, right? Yeah, no, no. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's not, um, you know, obvious or black and white or everywhere that way. But I think also, if we just stop overthinking it, and my advice would be to not overthink it, to not look too much at the bigger picture, and I want to fix the climate, and I want, you know, to stop hunger in the world. Yes, I do. But what can I do at my level? What is my locality? And how can I create a very small ecosystem around me that makes sense and supports and applies my values? That's where it starts. And sometimes we don't need much more. In April 2023, I had the pleasure of interviewing Ruth Todd, CBE, as my guest on the podcast. Ruth has had a career full of very senior, very responsible roles and at the time of our interview she was working as the Chief Commercial Officer of the largest infrastructure project in Europe, HS2, as the mother of two grown-up children having been married for over 30 years. Listening to Ruth's perspective of finding balance between work and everything else in life was so rich and helpful because she's been through so much of that already. Ruth didn't want to put a figure on her work-to-life ratio. She said that's not how she thinks of things. Instead, she talked about how she compartmentalizes the different parts of her life and her work to create a balance that really works for her. For Ruth, finding a balance comes down to having it all and being mindful of living in the present. Ruth talked a lot about being accepting of her choices and having the confidence and the conviction to do what you want in order to have the, the things in your life and your career that you really want. And that has that attitude has given her a sense of balance. She also talked about the importance of teamwork and how the people that you choose to surround yourself with at work and or how you manage your relationships outside of work as well can really have an impact in your sense of balance. During this podcast episode, Ruth shared the story of a tragic bereavement she experienced in her teenage years. And she talked about how this reinforced her, her resolve to live life to the full and to seize every opportunity. Ruth's reflections on how this has impacted on her choices of balancing work with other things in her life was really inspiring and poignant and thought-provoking and this is a message that I think will stay with listeners for a long time. Having children you know there are there are times when you are not doing anything else and I was always doing quite demanding jobs even then and finding a way of making sure that I was able to be a mum and continue working because that was my choice that's what I wanted to be able to do the this idea of having some barriers between the things that you do was really helpful because it meant that I was present when I was with Owen and 
um, and then that carried on. I did choose for a while not to be in a in, in the work as an employed person. So I ran a consultancy for a while because that gave me great flexibility. And while when Jono turned up in 2002, I um, I had already started. So I think it was about 2000, 2001, I stopped and started running my own show. And then I had way more flexibility. So I took 50 days off a year. Um, I was a governor at the local school. I mean, I have to be in charge, as you probably noticed, but I was a governor <laughs> at the local school. I built a new classroom. I built, I, I refurbished and gave them a, a decent computer suite and we networked the whole of the school, you know. So we did, I did things in my time that were contributing to their, um, the environment they were in, just as I would in a work environment. And then mm-hmm. I had my time spent with them and I never missed a school play and I never missed a sports day and I never missed anything that they were doing that they wanted me to be there for. So I, I guess I parented by um, quite pragmatically and without mm-hmm. really being too controlling of what the kids wanted to do, giving them every opportunity, but following their instincts rather than trying to impose my thoughts on them. I, I'm not that analytical of what the kids do because I want them to explore. I want them to get things wrong. I want them to explore stuff. I want, I, I've certainly had to pick up the pieces when stuff hasn't gone right because I have boys and boys don't study as well as girls do in their early lives. So trying to get them to really focus on their academic stuff was always a challenge. So it's that it's the um, over focus on um, managing what the children do and mm. Yeah, and and you know, kind of competing through your children, which never really mattered to me. I wanted them to be the people that they become. Did you feel ever any judgment or any animosity between the different types of parents that you'd come across at school, or was that not not around? Well, possibly, possibly. I don't really suffer from. We have, we've had this. I've said this a few times when I talk to other women in leadership. I don't really suffer from imposter syndrome. So mm-hmm. I've always been quite confident. So I don't go looking for that conflict. You know, mm. I, just, I accept people. I, I accept everyone's individual. People wouldn't make the same. You know, I don't expect people to make the same choices I've made. Yeah. They're my choices. I own them and I live with the consequences of them and I live with the joy of them. And I think everyone needs, you know, needs the freedom to be able to set their own path. And I respect that. Yeah. So I don't go looking for judgment. There may have been. But then I think that's more about the other person than it is about me. Mm. So, you know, they, I, I, they have the freedom to feel like that if they want to. I didn't really switch on to it or I probably chose not to spend time with those people. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm quite I'm quite comfortable in my own skin, as you can hear. And yeah. always have been. I think everybody is different. And yeah. being comfortable to make your own choices is part of managing your work-life balance mm-hmm. or whatever that means for you. Because you, as long as you can live with what you're doing, then that's great. That works. And as long as that doesn't negatively impact your family. So I'm, as you said, I've been married for 30 years. My kids are now grown up. We're a really strong family unit. But I wasn't there all the time and they had they had to sort some stuff out themselves. My kids could cook from very early. They knew how to operate the washing machine. Um, not that they did very often, but they knew how to do all those <laughs> things. Because if I wasn't around, I knew I could just ring up and say, yeah. oh, could you please put a load of washing on? It's, it's sat waiting before you go to school today. And they would do it. So, that, you know, yeah. we just you just manage in in the here and now and just keep checking in with yourself that, 
what you're doing is keep is authentic and keeping it true to yourself there yeah. is another there's another side to this that i think it's really important as well and it's something else i've learned having worked in lots of different organizations and i thrive when i work in an organization that has great values and great people and those things okay. don't mm. seem anything like as difficult if so hs2 is the most brilliant example i've ever worked in where we have you know super complex thing to do it's really difficult there are lots of challenges every day but as a group so that's my boss my the exec team i work with and my team we're all genuinely respect each other and everybody does their absolute best in every situation and we have each other's backs constantly there's no backstabbing there's no you know under, undermining going on and having worked in environments where that is the case I've learned that the values of the organization and how they live those values mm-hmm. are really important to me and allowing me to thrive a little bit because I make myself vulnerable by working so hard and consequently need to need to have that sort of um that that equity with those that I sit alongside well this I think it's in it's really helpful to hear from a working mother who has sort of is further down the path than a lot of the women I speak Mm -hmm. to that has worked hard while your children have been while you've been bringing up your children and see it through to the other side um I think it's just always quite helpful to get that perspective from people that have been there already and come out the other side and it seems to have worked out okay for you Um, yeah and my boys are fabulous I mean they're both now working and independent and understand how to make their own decisions and have been I I don't know it's a joy to see them growing into the men that they are they have um it's quite interesting because we my husband and I reflect on it quite often because we we both worked and we both kind of go did we do it right or didn't we and we go well we can't have done it all wrong because they seem to have worked out okay you know and we had difficult times with both of them we had you know traumas in both both of their sort of um as both of them grew up yeah we just handled them as best we could so yeah just stick in there for anyone who's stick at it for anybody who's going through that time because it is it is conflicting I didn't feel stressed about it, but it is conflicting. You you know, you're constantly juggling things and it's tough. And and I I have huge respect for anyone who chooses to do more than one thing at a time because it is hard. And um and you know, and and if you're comfortable with the choices you make, then just feel confident in that because you're doing the right thing for you and that will make you a better person too. I've always had an expectation that if you want to do something with a woman, it's no different to what a man would expect to do and so but equally you always had a sense that you wanted a family life as well always yeah you just kind of had that um aspiration I suppose from yeah from early on I did exactly to have it all all. (laughs) what's your view on having it all well so um, there's there's sort of a reason I think because I lost my cut my cousin and I were very very close and I lost her she had a car accident when I was 17 she was 18 oh I can hear your dog mine are downstairs <laughs> um she was 17 I was 18 she um I, I'd had an accident 10 days before I'd walked out of it with my friend we were very very lucky and 10 days later she had an accident and didn't walk out of it and we were peas from a pod and I've always felt that I've got two people to live for and she's always sat on my shoulder um you know she was a an amazing young person she was a brilliant artist 
she played England under 18 hockey. Um, we used to go out drinking in Hereford, which is where I grew up together with our friends. And, you know, we just, we, we, we really missed her and we still really miss her. And so she motivated me to live for two people and make sure that I took every opportunity I was given and, um, and seized every day and made sure that I was um, making the most. So, yeah, so I guess that's a bit of the, 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 the psychology that sits behind why I feel I can go after anything. Because, you know, it's proved to be there isn't anything that isn't possible. I might be better at some things than others, but most things you can have a crack at and make, make an impact on. You're listening to Fine Balance with me, Dahlia Wittenberg. This very special final episode of 2023 is also the final episode that I'm recording in season two of A Fine Balance, the podcast. On this episode, I am looking back over all of the interviews that I've conducted throughout 2023. And we're almost halfway through. Before we carry on though, I wanted to include in this podcast a quick extract of an event that I took part in in October, 2023. This time the tables were turned and it was me in the hot seat being interviewed. The event was one that I put on jointly with a parenting expert and author, Anita Clear. Anita and I started working together in the summer of 2023 and I produced a blog that was published on her website, which is the Thinking Parenting blog, which is really worth having a look at if you're interested in anything to do with parenting children of all ages. Then in October 2023, we put together an event which was entitled Work-Life Balance, What Works for Working Parents, and it was all about finding your balance as a working parent. Working with Anita was such a brilliant experience, and it really got me thinking about what I've learned from all the conversations that I've had about work-life balance over the last three years since creating my blog, A Fine Balance. So here's a small extract of the interview that I gave to Anita Clear back in October 2023. And I will include in the show notes here links to the full recording and also a link to the blog that I wrote, which was published on her website as well. You've interviewed... A lot of different people had a lot of different conversations. And I know this is almost an impossible question, but out of all of that and all of those diverse experiences, what are the lessons that you would draw or the themes or the commonalities that come out, I think, for working parents in search of work-life balance? Are there any messages in there? I'd say out of the commonalities of the working parents, uh, and I have interviewed people that are not parents as well. And so I'd say kind of generally speaking for parents and non-parents, there are three components to attaining your work-life balance that seem to be themes that, that come up a lot. I'd say, first of all, is the, the essence of individuality. There is absolutely no one size fits all. Everybody has their own story to tell their own reasons for prioritizing some things over others. And I think recognizing the individuality is really important. Um, the second element is fluidity. People's work-life balance changes over the course of their career, over the course of their children's lives. And I think the people that accept that fluidity 
seem to be much more attuned to sort of finding peace with their balance. People that have children and, and think that they could carry on working as they did before are the ones that sort of struggle with that a little bit. Um, and the final element of work-life balance that always keeps coming back is the idea of intentionality. So in order to find a balance that you're happy with, it helps if you're acting intentionally. And that's not always easy to do, but I think acting with intention deciding what you want out of your balance, what your values are, what your priorities are, whether that is leaving work at four o'clock to put your children to bed or taking a job that requires a lot of travel and, and relinquishing those responsibilities with your children, accepting that with intention really helps people to feel comfortable with their work-life balance. In May 2023, I welcomed Laura Krantz onto my podcast. Laura is a former teacher turned project manager, and she's also a mum of five. So she has a very busy work-life balance to manage, and it was really, really interesting to delve into Laura's story. When I asked Laura what her work-to-life ratio is, she gave me the figure of 60 to 40, which sounds quite an even split, considering that she actually works full-time. Laura talked to me at length about her journey to become a teacher and to take the very difficult decision to leave the profession after a period of what she describes as burnout. We talked about the teaching profession specifically, but we also talked about more generally how changing your career or making one drastic change to your life when you find your balance is so skewed can sometimes be the answer. Another subject that we covered on the episode with Laura was about teenage pregnancy and about the challenges of finding your balance as a teenager when you find yourself unexpectedly pregnant, as she did when she was age 16. This was understandably a really challenging point in Laura's story, but also one that she looks back on with a lot of contentment. So she does reflect on how she felt the criticisms of others had a really striking impact on her balance. And we talked about that a little bit more broadly about how to find the resilience to uh, people's criticisms or when people don't approve of your work-life balance choices, how that can impact on your own sense of balance. I was really touched by Laura's openness and her honesty and vulnerability about all of the experiences that she had had leading up to her burnout as a teacher. And this, this was one of the most downloaded episodes of the year on my podcast, which I, I think reflects how many people may have identified with her predicament as a teacher facing burnout. What I think many people will identify with from Laura's episode is the fact that she doesn't come up with all the answers about how to find a, a perfect balance. She is very much in the thick of it, if you like, um, as a working parent with five children and, and a busy home life and a busy working life, even though she's no longer working as a teacher, as a project manager, she also has a lot to contend with and she's out of her home uh, for many hours in the week. So she's pursuing her balance as she goes, she says, one day at a time and whatever challenges life throws her way, she again talked about the resilience that she finds to contend with that, which I think is something encouraging to listen to and something that I think will probably resonate with many listeners too. Here's Laura talking to me on an episode of Fine Balance, the podcast, which we recorded in May 2023. There was a point when I went back to work after um, 
after I had my last baby, I was breastfeeding as well. So, and he was allergic to dairy and soya. So he was just on using my milk. And so I'd also, I had a cupboard that I used to lock myself into with a little sign on the door so that people knew that I was in there. And I'd pump during my lunch break as well. So often I'd be pumping. Oh my goodness. And pumping and marking <laughs> or pumping and quickly checking wow. with the childminder that he was okay. Right. Um, or my mum. And um, yeah, so I kind of added that in as well, which made it extra and um, busy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and actually totally overwhelming. Um yeah. I just be- I just became totally overwhelmed. There are some absolutely amazing teachers out there. I know many of them and they manage they manage this busy schedule um admirably and and better than me. Um and they have this amazing ability to um have a a, a home life and work life balance um mm. i just felt at that point that it was that the balance was tipped and i just couldn't manage yeah. it all so after after 6 months i realized that that last after that last maternity leave i realized that i just couldn't do it anymore i felt like i was mm. doing a rubbish job of everything I felt like i was being a rubbish mum at home because i was totally exhausted when i got home and i was a rubbish teacher at school because i was worried about not being at home when i was at school and there was just so much to do and I always felt like I'd never finished anything because there's always so many other things piled up. So were there no boundaries then between your work when you left school would that come home with you? Yeah I used to bring bags and bags of books home and then because things had happened at home I didn't always get the marking done so I'd bring a box of unmarked books back to school because I had them the next lesson and then I'd feel guilty about having not marked the books because I wanted to mark them um, and then we had exams to mark. There was constant mock exams and practice exams and real exams. And um, it was just constant. And there was no balance. It was just overwhel- feeling overwhelmed all the time. I'd go to bed feeling overwhelmed. I'd wake up in the morning feeling overwhelmed. It was just, I got to a point where I just couldn't manage anymore. Um, it sounds like the, the environment in the staff room was a bit toxic as well would you describe it like that I mean I know you're saying kind of you playfully would complain to each other about your day but was there an expectation that everybody was living this sort of lifestyle and was there a sense of purpose there or joy or was it all about survival and kind of finding humor in in what you were doing just to kind of get through it do you think there's something in the culture that creates this this kind of knock-on effect where where teachers just can't let go teachers are just being thrown more and more to deal with yeah I think that there's I think that um there's a mix there I there's real camaraderie around between teaching staff and I always felt like a member of the team and I was you know um really well looked after by my peers at school um and I did feel listened to if I had complaints or upset about things but the general in my opinion the general feeling was that everyone was overwhelmed and there was always too much for everybody to do it wasn't just me that was that was struggling everybody was struggling with the workload and particularly those with young families it was a real struggle to manage um i'm in a i'm in a facebook group for teachers that are considering leaving teaching so i guess lots of people are in that group out of interest and they're probably never going to not be a teacher but there are over a hundred thousand teachers in that group on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And that yeah, speaks, that speaks volumes to me. It, it means it does, that, yeah. you know, my experience it, 
towards the end of my teaching was was a negative one and I felt totally overwhelmed and like I couldn't I wasn't doing a good job of it Mm. um and and a lot of that's to do with my personal circumstances as well so I don't think it's fair to say all teachers feel like that but I would say that the system is broken teachers are being asked to do more and more year on year extra things and also it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because everybody's doing it everybody's working harder everybody's working longer hours everybody's doing more all the time and all of my peers were also doing more um extra reporting things for Ofsted report writing um evaluations of your department um uh, forward planning for your department lesson planning long-term planning short-term planning all of these things and then the exam board would change um, or they would change the GCSE syllabus. So you'd have to, all of that planning that you'd done for years before that you might have used again, can't be used because they've changed all the books that you're reviewing or the recipes for food or, you know, um, it's just constant. I've always had this feeling in my head of, you can, o- you can only do what you can do with the resources that you have and the, and, and the time that you've got. And I feel that that's carried me through my life you know, you can only do the best that you can with what you've got. And I've always done that. I've always tried my hardest to do the best that I can with what I've got. But when you're, when there's not enough staff in your department, and when there's not enough support in your department, because there's not budget, and there's not funds, and there's not the right equipment, and you're already up against it before you're even starting to um, try and manage it, you're, 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 you're in an uphill struggle. Yeah. And I Um, I suppose it comes back to what you said earlier about knowing when to quit and step away for your own good. And clearly this was not an easy choice for you. And and maybe it's not the right thing for everybody that finds themselves in in the situation, but it it did work out for you, which is fantastic. Yes. I don't think I've ever been. I, I don't think the workload in teaching for me personally has ever been less it was just different so in the early stages of your teaching you're spending so much more time you don't have the the external responsibility of being head of department and being in charge of other people when you're learning to teach as a as an early early years you know in your early years of teaching um but I always I always felt at that point I was young and enthusiastic and I was Mm. full of energy and um I guess I'd got to a point by the end for me where I felt like the the balance I needed more balance in the early years of my teaching I was absolutely happy to spend more of my evenings doing all this teaching uh prep work and things because I felt that in time I would get more balance and it was fine at the beginning because everyone finds it get beginning everyone finds it difficult at the beginning because it's a lot to take on yeah um but at the end even at the end for me I've been teaching for 13 years I knew what I was doing teaching wise and um, I was an experienced teacher, but the uh, the demands changed because I was a head of department and there's a lot of extra pressure there um, of, of responsibility. And I wanted that. And I love being head of department in some respects, but I uh, towards the end, I just couldn't find that balance. And I, yeah. and I felt that that search was I, I just couldn't search for it any longer. I recorded the episode with my next guest, Paul Morgan Bentley, in June 2023, in the final days of Pride Month. And during our conversation, Paul and I talked about his experience of coming out and what impacted his sense of balance during those formative years in his life. 
Paul described to me the immense sense of loss that he had felt at the idea of not being able to have children. When surrogacy became an option for him and his husband, he was able to realise his dreams of being a father. Dreams that he'd grown to accept were out of his reach. During our conversation, Paul described to me how this experience went on to impact his work-life balance choices as a parent. And we also discussed the parallels that couples experiencing infertility might recognise in his story. At the time of our interview, Paul had recently published a book called The Equal Parent, which is based on his experience of fatherhood. His insights stem from his experience of sharing the parental load when you're in a same-sex marriage, and he shared some really thought-provoking observations and the the extensive research that he's done on the deep-rooted social inequalities between parents. We focused on what impact this can have on the work-life balances of each parent individually, and I found the conversation really insightful and a totally different way to look at both parenting and work-life balance. With all this in mind, it's no surprise that the ratio, the work to life ratio that Paul gave me was a clean 50-50 split. However, he explained that the figure was an average and that that takes into account the fact that both he and his husband work full time. So he said sometimes he would have a higher ratio on the work or the life side, depending on whatever he or his husband had going on at the time. Essentially, he said that because they try to split responsibility for the care of their son equally, it works out as 50-50 overall. Paul's story was a great example of someone whose passion for their job affords him a positive sense of balance, even when it sounds like there is lots and lots to juggle, both at work and at home, plus the work surrounding his book as well, which sits somewhere in between. This was a critical element of Paul's work-life balance story, which was so fascinating to uncover during our conversation. So here he is, Paul Morgan Bentley, talking to me on A Fine Balance, the podcast in June 2023. I just wanted to um, to go back to this idea of your approach to to kind of the forensic scrutiny, if you like, of this parenting, because this is it's really interesting. I think a lot of people might have an experience of parenthood and talk about it with their friends and then kind of move on. Whereas you've decided to write a book about it. Um, and, you know, I, I'm curious about whether this is like a, just your professional interest working there or is this something here in your value around work and your work ethic? that you couldn't that you had to sort of you know delve into this more like is this was this a trait you had like as a schoolboy as well were you kind of this committed to your trade to your work absolutely not I was totally different when I was at school I think um and uh, quite naughty and quite frequently suspended so um I I think this probably <laughs> something that's developed more recently um but I just I think it was because as a gay couple we had our son And we very much assumed that our experience would be kind of framed by that. And that if we experienced anything unusual, it would be like comments about there being two dads, about being a gay couple. And actually, we really didn't experience that much, which was lovely. Like, as I said before, it was a real lesson. Like, we were just talking with everyone that we were around at the time about all the really excruciating stuff that everyone finds really boring like how many poos they were doing a day and oh god he woke up at 3 a.m and you know all those just like totally normal Mm -hmm. things like no one seemed to care that we were a two-dad family however the experience that was really formative um was the kind of lack of expectation about dads generally and what i mean by that is you know we would take solly to a vaccination appointment and we'd get huge praise every time a nurse and they were really well-meaning obviously and just being lovely but they'd say stuff like oh we never see dads 
we never suggest a dad or you know like oh what's going on have you taken time off work oh that's amazing it's so good that dads are doing that now (laughs) and you know I just really started thinking about all these female colleagues I have and female friends who obviously would never be praised for doing these kind of the basics you're getting your child vaccinated and it carries on and more recently I picked up a prescription for my son at our local chemist and the uh, dispenser said something like um oh it's great to see dads doing things like this and I was like you know I'm picking up a prescription like what woman would ever be praised for that and (laughs) and I think probably because of my job and and I'm looking constantly for kind of things to to write about and doing some society and try to form change that's what news investigations are all about you know trying to get the law changed try to um of social justice and things like that and it just made me think this is such an obvious issue facing this generation of parents uh we're supposed but then you have a baby and no one expects equality and i wanted to look into it i wanted to kind of look into the science and see is it really true that mother's instinct exists and like can Mm. men actually never truly be equal parents and the kind of big spoiler is that absolutely not men are totally capable of it and the science is brilliant and really backs this up so was it it just in was it just in finding your passion then that motivated you to to you know to make an academic study of this then if you're saying you know at school you weren't that driven is it just as you've got older and you've sort of found your vocation that you that you're this driven and motivated the truth is I've never really been that introspective about it so this feels a bit like a therapy session like I don't know (laughs) (laughs) sorry I I guess what I'm getting at is just how when when people sort of um identify how they value their work and then what weight they give that in like the bigger picture of their life um it's just interesting to see because you're right like a a lot of people I've spoken to you know weren't that motivated at school but went on to be like really really super driven and successful and motivated in their work and all it took was for them to find something that interests them and, and that they were passionate about to find that um and and then there's a bit of a tussle of like well how do you manage that passion to maintain your balance I suppose yeah I think that's it's so funny because I've never thought about this and thank you for asking me about it because actually it, it feels really interesting to think about it for the first time but I think that was the case with me I wasn't massively driven at school I mean I was quite driven in like um, exams and stuff like that but I was quite naughty um but I'm hugely passionate about my work. I love it. And I love digging really deep into a subject and not just kind of finding out about it, but then trying to kind of um, articulate that message in a really clear way and engaging way. So like taking academic studies that are really dense and impossible to understand, but then really understanding them and then explaining them in a way that anyone can understand and kind of doing that job of being that kind of messenger. And I love doing that. And so yeah maybe it was that in this way I just saw this wasn't part of my work but I felt really passionate about it it was obviously something very personal to me because we were dads bringing up our son and so suddenly looking into the science and feeling really validated because it didn't matter that we were just men actually the science backs this up we can do it and then having conversations with people and hearing dads say things like turning to the mum and saying oh can he eat this and thinking (laughs) stop letting down the team you're a man yeah. Like that doesn't you're you're just an adult like why don't you know what your kid eats or hearing a dad say oh I'm sleeping in the spare room at the moment because I've got work the next day <laughs> and thinking like why you're an accountant like why is that more important than your wife getting up 
and looking after your new baby all day long like I'm feeling really sure because we'd done it as well mm. that it was not only was should it be considered work but it was harder and that if anyone should be rested it should be the person looking after the baby and so maybe it was that and the passion and then thinking no I want to I've, I've started looking into the science I want to try and kind of explain this to people in an engaging way so yeah. that you know so I don't know so and maybe to to kind of help cause some kind of change the shock and trauma of the terrorist attack that took place in Israel on October the 7th and the actions that followed reverberated all over the world and is something that has dominated this last part of the year of 2023 at the time I reached out to my friend, Dr. Ian Moran, who lives in Tel Aviv and who had been personally impacted by the events. Ian is a clinical psychologist and a psychotherapist. And when we connected, an idea hastily evolved between us to record a podcast episode in reaction to what was happening as a way of broaching the idea of finding balance during a time of war when everything feels as it did then off kilter. This was probably the fastest podcast episode I've ever produced. It was emotional, it was raw, um, and it was very different to the usual format. Um, and the reason why I did this so quickly was because Ian and I both felt that we didn't want to waste any time in in getting the, the episode out there as a potential way to support people with what they were going through. Usually I interview my guests about their own personal approach to balancing work with everything else in their lives. This episode was a little bit different and I was sorry not to have the opportunity to interview Ian a bit more about this. We did touch a bit about his approach to balancing work with other things and it was really interesting because Ian's work involves providing really deep and involved emotional support to his patients in doing so, he's really mindful of how he looks after himself and ensures that he has the resilience with him to give as much as he does to his patients of himself. And that was a really interesting perspective and one that I think could be applicable to other people as well. I did, however, manage to sneak in the question that I ask all my guests about what uh, work to life ratio Ian would apply to himself. But he said that he feels he has a good balance. It's a good ratio between work and life. However, he opted not to put any numerical value to that. And so we left it at that. But uh, who knows? Maybe um, maybe I'll convince Ian to come back as a guest in a future episode. But really, I wanted to use this podcast as an opportunity to question Ian about his expertise and to get his professional advice on what could be helpful to listeners. His answers were measured. They were calm and informed with some practical pointers. But I think what most stuck with me was where we got to at the end of the episode, where Ian shared his weighty viewpoint on accepting when there is no balance. It was truly humbling. And I'm so grateful that Ian gave up his time and gave up himself at a time of heightened emotions, both for himself and for the many patients that he cares for. Here is an extract of my interview with Dr. Ian Moran. How does a person find their balance amidst that kind of chaos and the uncertainty, not knowing how long you'll find yourself in the situation? What's the take on that you think that could be helpful for people that do find themselves like that, as well as for those that want to support their loved ones that are in those situations? Well, I think everything we've talked about so far could apply also. You know, whether someone's life is turned upside down, 
especially the kindness, uh, or, or whether they're you know watching from afar. Um, but the the additional thing that comes to my mind is um, you know you say how can people find balance? I think sometimes it can make it worse when we expect something of ourselves that is just not possible or realistic at the moment. And I I don't know, I, I sort of notice myself take a breath almost of relief, like as I I don't know what, what mentally remove that pressure even from myself, like to have to be okay. I think that itself, again, it's almost like this healthy message, healthy idea, you know, it's such a lovely value that you constantly support in your podcast. But I think depending on um almost depending on which part of us you know, it's the kind part or it's the sort of more mean part grabbing that sense of you know is, is it that i would want to be balanced now or is the message you should be balanced now and i think we just have to be so careful that there's there's a there's probably a limit to how well any of us can feel right now a limit to how well anyone can manage that uh, how we are it doesn't mean we don't try but i, I certainly found for myself so taking that pressure off to you know have usual levels of functioning to be as effective as usual it almost ironically or perversely taking the pressure off to be balanced seems to actually make in my experience people more able to achieve it kind of by recognizing no you've I feel wretched at the moment. I feel terrible. There's a there's a limit how much I can do. Ian, there's a, I'm not even sure I want to be here in therapy today. Ian, I'm feeling incredibly guilty that that I'm here. Ian, you know, and, and my own you know, experiences of that. Recognizing those things first seems really important, and then we'll see what we can achieve. Uh, I, I think sort of setting the bar as like to try and achieve balance, and I'm not saying that's that's how you're speaking, but I think it can be translated into that in our minds you know, with that more harsh part of us, the part that sort of pressurizes and, and rushes and, uh, you know, expects things above our le level of capacity that we can manage. Um, I, I think it's, it's worth being careful with that and then seeing what we can achieve. When I, I would just say when I was at university, um, I had a very nice director of studies, my subject, and he said, um, when we first met us, he said, look, you, I know you guys can all manage to get you know, the thirds, like the the the, the lower end of uh, of attainment. Let's see what you can achieve. Let's see how you can do. You know, from from that level up. And I heard of another college where someone had had the same meeting with a director of studies, and this person said, "If you aren't getting first, I'm going to have you in my office to explain why." And I said, "Oh my goodness, I'm so glad I'm not there because that approach is so harsh." judgmental and pressurizing. I don't work well under that that kind of uh, regime, but the idea, well, let's see what we can manage, what we can achieve, and in this, you know, for our well-being, for our mental health, I, I think is itself a healthier way to, to approach uh, all of these good ideas, these good techniques, these good things that we could do. You're right, you're so right, thank you. Um, I, I feel emotional kind of processing what you're saying here because there is no balance now. There is chaos, yeah. you know, there is danger and there is such tremendous sadness, you know, reminding ourselves or having you remind us that there is no balance and that's okay for now um, is really helpful, I think, because yeah. it's also, it comes back to that point of kindness to yourself, of just acknowledging, you know, when when it's not going to be possible to find your balance and and let yourself 
kind of accept that have, give yourself permission to feel unbalanced and hope that the time will come where you'll be able to find that balance again so we're nearly done there is just one more episode of the fine balance the podcast to share with you from 2023 and this is one that was only recently published and it was the story of sam franklin Sam is somebody who I interviewed on the blog uh, back in 2020. He's one of my earlier guests. And it was a real pleasure to meet up with Sam again and to hear an update on his work-life balance situation. In this podcast episode with Sam, we covered quite a few big issues around work-life balance. We talked about the impact of volunteering and where that falls on the work-to-life spectrum. We talked about being a perfectionist or otherwise. And there was one topic of our conversation, however, that overshadowed everything else. And that was our discussion about a cancer diagnosis that Sam had recently received. Sam talked about how the uncertainty of clinical trials and scan and waiting for scan results impacts on his current work to life ratio and how it has sharpened his priorities into focus. At the moment for him, the life side of his work to life ratio bears a much stronger significance, even though he did give me a 50-50 ratio when I asked him to quantify his work-to-life ratio. He still works four days a week, which is part-time, but it's still quite a significant chunk of his week is spent at work. But um, nevertheless, he gives it a 50-50 work-to-life ratio and with an emphasis very much on the life side being more important to him. There is a bit of a conflict here, though, because even though he places a lot more emphasis on his the life side of his work-to-life ratio, he really values the work that he does. He finds a purpose and a sense of value to his contribution to his workplace as well. Um, and talked a lot about how you find the balance between caring about your work and finding work that is meaningful, not just to pay the bills, whilst also being clear on what your priorities are. As I said, this podcast episode aired just a couple of weeks ago and we're coming to the end of 2023 so I think the timing of this episode going live is really apt uh, as as 2023 draws to a close I think there is a tendency at the end of the year to look back and to make news resolutions looking forward and I think having Sam's life-affirming story front of mind at this time of year is is I think a really thought-provoking and and uplifting way to end a year. That said, I don't think there's ever a bad time to be reminded of Sam's perspective about setting your priorities when, in his words, you're mindful of your expiry date. It's a sobering reminder not to waste any time in finding a balance that's right for you. So here's an extract of my interview with Sam Franklin, which was published on a Fine Balance the Podcast in December 2023. So I was trying to park the next set of scans and the what-ifs of what we do at December, January time, park it away, because there's nothing really I can do about that, which is tended to be my, yeah, it's also similar to my work approach. I only tackle the things that are in my scope to control and, and to influence and to fix. But... I think if, and that's why I think this you know, podcast and this blog uh, is very interesting because 
I think if a lot of us took the time, you know, it's been forced upon me to take that pause and reflection of what do I want to do with my time in case it's finite. This clinical trial, you know, hopefully showing some promise, clinical trial work, and we'll listen back to this blog in 30 years and say, what are you moaning about? But <laughs> um, having been that forced opportunity to reflect on your end date, and think what you want to do with the time makes you make different choices. To be honest, I've been doing that since 2019 when mm-hmm. it spread to start with. But I think if you know, if everyone took that opportunity to pause and, and reflect, people might be might make subtly different choices in their life. Yeah. Do you have any advice for? other people that don't have that end date looming or that don't know of it at least I think the only thing I can say is pause take stock of of what you're doing and yeah whilst I used the the banker example there that you gave for you love my love job love, love what they're doing is that where they want to be spending all of their time doing between now and yeah at whatever point um i like to just you know perhaps show a, an anecdote of the colleague who passed away last week he was at a work meeting a couple of hours away from london uh, and when it finished, they went out for a meal afterwards. And it finished late at night, about 10 o'clock at night. And so the story I was told, someone said to him, are you going back to the hotel? And he said, no, and he got in his car and drove back down to London because he always wanted to be there when his kids woke up in the morning. And, yeah, I guess pre-kids, I didn't think twice about Travelling for work, being away for lots of period of time, uh, you know. And now, whilst I've, you know, I enjoyed the the lion I got when I whilst I was away in, in Scotland last year. It's it's yeah, an extra special moment to tuck the kids in at night time and to to be there for them in the morning, and work can often eat into those moments. Mm. Yeah. They are important reminders, aren't they? They are. But we still have to fit work in amongst yeah. Yeah, everything else. Not yeah. just for paying the bills, but because yeah, it has value and yeah. a sense of purpose as well. I think, I mean, I'm sorry to keep repeating the title of the podcast, but it is a fine balance to strike between living each day like it's your last and also just getting on with life and enjoying it and setting yourself goals and you know even if it's staying the night in Glasgow and enjoying that lion you know if that's not your last lion then you know good for you you had a lion and then you've got another year of being woken up at 5am by your three-year-old or whatever you know I guess finding some medium there that that at least kind of maintains your sanity that must be really hard for you to be 
living each day like it's your last or are you is that how you're operating now or yeah, i'm trying to sort of keep that compartmentalized mm. in part because i think it would be all consuming and you know probably you know, a bit a bit too depressing um otherwise I, i'm not saying yeah people throwing yourself into work you, you know is a is a negative in fact when i was off work it was nice to have a few weeks to play fifa mm-hmm um, but I, I got increasingly bored um, sitting, not, not doing very much. I'm very grateful for, for social visits and things from people, but I did feel that I missed some sort of stimulation and, mm. and activity. And But when I came back to work, uh, I felt like I split apart. Mm. The team were doing a great job. There was, they'd coped without yeah, you coped without oh god uh, that's just <laughs> yeah. not acceptable <laughs> yeah, and, and so it took a little bit of time mm-hmm. to get back into the rhythm of of working um, but finding that rhythm of you know, working with sort of everything else mm. um, going on and that's why I take it back to what we were talking about early on I think it's really important to work with people that that bring their full selves to work and mm. yeah I had a call just last night just as I was about to shut down um, with a senior uh, colleague and it was about something completely banal we spoke about that for 10 minutes then he took the time to ask how I was any update on how anything's going yeah, how am I doing hearing myself and that's why I lost their kids coming in and out, asking where their shin pads are and things like that. So they're, the, they're bringing themselves to work, but also taking the time to you know, check in on, on how I was doing. And so I feel that I can work, but I can also put my hand up and say, mm. I need, yeah, just had a doctor's appointment. I need a... Yeah, I need to I'm really grateful that you're, that you're sharing this about the experience you're going through health-wise because it is unusual to to hear somebody address a cancer diagnosis in the frame of their work-life balance. To think about it through a work prism is really interesting. I think what I'm taking from this is you're saying that the attitude of people that you work with really matters and other people showing their personal side or their vulnerable side in kind of opens you up for doing the same I think that's quite a useful pointer to bear in mind. And then, of course, being faced with that expiry date, as you say, um, is really sobering for anybody to think about. I think it's useful to be reminded to think, you know, what's an important way to spend your time. So there we have it. That's a wrap for 2023. Thank you so much for sticking with me in looking back over all of the conversations I've hosted on the podcast this year. The concept of the podcast has remained consistent since its creation two years ago, and that is to host conversations that reflect the diverse and multifaceted complexity of work-life balance choices. And the purpose has always been for people to learn from one another and to celebrate the different ways that people flex their work around life and their life around work. Thank you again to all my amazing guests that took part in episodes this year in 2023. It has been an absolute pleasure to host you. And I'm sure there's lots that listeners will take away from our conversations and that will encourage them to 
consider their own work to life ratio and how they can pursue a balance that's right for them. Thank you so much to anyone that's taken the time to download an episode, to listen to these conversations that I'm hosting. I I know how precious people's time is and how selective people are about the podcast that they listen to. And the fact that you're choosing to listen to a fine balance, the podcast is, it means so much to me. And I really want to just say thanks to all my listeners and please do reach out with your feedback. I love hearing from you. And I hope you'll continue to tune in in 2024 when I'll be hosting many more conversations on the subject of work, life and the pursuit of balance. If you think you have a work-life balance story that you'd like to share and would like to join me as a guest on my podcast, then please do get in touch. Or if you have a friend that you think would make a brilliant guest, also please do send them my way. My website is www.a-fine-balance.com and you can get in touch with me through the contact form, which is on that website. So in true podcast style, I'll wrap up now with a quick request that if you enjoyed this episode, please do rate and review it. Apparently, it makes a really big difference. Also, please do subscribe on your usual podcast provider to be notified when new episodes are ready to be downloaded. This has been A Fine Balance, the podcast that explores work-life balance choices, one story at a time, with me, Dahlia Wissenberg. Thanks for listening to this extra special final episode of 2023 and the final episode of season two of Fine Balance, the podcast. Please join us again in 2024 when we'll kick off season three of the podcast. You can find out more about my blog, Fine Balance, and find the links to all of the podcast episodes that have been showcased in this episode on my website, which is www.a-fine-balance.com. For updates, you can follow at a fine balance underscore blog on Facebook or Instagram. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>